Thank you for supporting the Ministry of Victory Outreach International. We pray this message challenges, ignites faith, and that God would fan the flame that will produce a harvest of souls throughout the world. I want to ask you to open up your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter what? Somebody said 23, somebody said 24. 22, chapter 22 in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 22. And I, I want you to look in your bulletin, and you could see that we have a little outline for you. And we're taking a journey through the book of Acts. Taking a journey through the book of Acts. And now we are in chapter 22 of Acts. And the topic we... I wanted to give it a, a topic and a title to this chapter. And looking at it and reading it, I, I came to the title of the, a positive witness. You see Paul giving a positive witness in the midst of adversity or a very, very difficult situation. The Apostle Paul is giving a positive witness and a positive testimony. Amen? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Lord Jesus, this morning, once again, we thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit that we're able to sense and feel in this Sunday morning service. We thank you for your faithful people that have turned out to be here and to worship your holy name. And Lord, I pray this morning that you give me the strength that I may minister your word. And Lord, open up the minds and the hearts of each and every person that is gathered here this morning that we will be able to receive your word and that your word will have a life-changing effect upon all of our lives. And we'll continue to give you the praise and continue to give you all the glory for we ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> now the last time that we were together, we concluded chapter 21. And just to give a, a short review to bring those of you that possibly were not here last Sunday, just to give you a short review before we get into chapter 22, we find the Apostle Paul coming into Jerusalem. And even before he came into Jerusalem, already there were prophets that prophesied that when he got to Jerusalem, that bondage awaited him. Suffering and bondage and trials awaited him in Jerusalem. But the Apostle Paul had a purpose to come to Jerusalem. And because of the purpose, and not only because of the purpose, because he also felt it was God's divine will for him to come to Jerusalem, he was obedient to the divine will of God. And he came to Jerusalem. And then when he was there... He greeted the brethren, he greeted James and also all the brethren and all the elders that were in Jerusalem. And he gave a report of what God had done in, in, in his life and in his ministry in ministering to the Gentiles. He also brought some Gentile Christians with him because he wanted to bring about unity between the Gentiles and also the Jews. But then uh, the James and, and also the elders, they told Paul, after Paul had given the positive report of the beautiful things that God was doing, they had a concern. And their concern was that rumors had come to their ears and rumors were being spread all over Jerusalem that Paul was uh, preaching to the Jewish Christians and were telling them that they didn't have to be uh, observe the, the Passover, they didn't have to be circumcised, and they didn't have to follow the Mosaic law, and that he was preaching that. And because of that, there was a, there was a concern. And what they did is they told the Apostle Paul, there was a, a group of men that were doing, that were, uh, doing a Nazarite vow that were in the temple, and they suggested, not, not just suggested, but they actually told the Apostle Paul for him to join those that were doing a Nazarite vow so that he could prove to the Jews that he wasn't against Judaism. 
but that he was also a Jew and that he respected the law of Moses. And just to keep peace, the Apostle Paul did just that. And the very next day, we find him going into the temple, and he joins those, I believe it was four men, that were in the process of a Nazarite vow. And when he did that, that's when some of the Jews from Ephesus or Jews from Asia Minor that were there because it was Pentecost, the Feast of Pentecost, when they spotted the Apostle Paul, they were in an uproar and they accused him. They accused him of bringing a Gentile into the temple. And you remember that it was a no-no for the Gentiles to enter the temple. In fact, if they would enter the temple, there was even a sign outside the temple that read, if a Gentile entered those premises and went beyond that point, that they would do it at the very cost of their lives. And the Jews had the authority to kill anyone, any Gentile, that would come and go beyond that point and enter into the temple. So they began to accuse the Apostle Paul. They had seen him in the city with some of the, his Gentile friends and, and Gentile Christians. They had seen him in the city with this man called Trophimus. And because they saw him in the city with this man, they assumed. It's all assumption. Over and over, you hear the word, they assume, and they assume, they assume, they suppose. They didn't have any proof whatsoever, but because of hearsay, someone came and began to spread a rumor. So the rumor began to spread, and before you knew it, they looked at Paul and they classified Paul as guilty. And what they did is there was a big uproar that took place, and they wanted to kill him. Imagine that. Those people come on, uh, to Pentecost, the Feast of Pentecost to worship, and here they are worshiping one moment, the very next moment they want, to, they want to murder somebody and they want to kill someone. You can see how much love they actually had within their hearts. And what they did with the Apostle Paul, they got him and they, were, they just about almost killed him. They were just coming at him and they were, they were beating him up. And uh, when all of a sudden the, the Romans came and they came to his rescue. And there was a fort on top of the, the wall that looked down into the temple court. And when the Romans noticed that there was a commotion, they came down and they rescued Paul. And then they took Paul and they took him up into the, they were going to take him into the castle. And just before they took him into the castle, as they're taking him up the stairs, then Paul begins to speak to the, to the Roman and he begins to speak to him in Greek. And when he spoke to him, here it is in, uh, in verse 39 of chapter 21. It says over here, in, actually verse 37, look, and Paul, as he was to be led into the castle, he said unto the chief captain, may I speak unto thee? Who said, can thou speak Greek? He was even amazed that the apostle Paul was actually speaking Greek. And he said, Are not thou the Egyptian which before these days made an uproar and led out into the wilderness 4,000 men that were murderous? So you could see that even the Romans didn't even know what Paul had done. They had the, also an, another assumption that he was an Egyptian revolutionist. That's what they assumed. And then the Jews didn't really know, even know, they didn't even know it was a mob. And, it, and the big mob, and whenever there's a riot, people don't even know why they're rioting. You see, so when the Romans got him and when Paul began to speak in, in Greek, the, they were amazed and they thought he was that Egyptian. But then Paul said, I am a man which am a Jew of Tarsus, a city of Cilicia, a citizen of no mean city, or in other words, a citizen of no insignificant city or small city. He said, and I beseech thee, suffer me to speak unto the people. So here is, I want you to picture this. The Apostle Paul is all beat up. Blood is gushing out of him. He's all swollen. You can imagine after getting a beating, the, the beating he got when people started coming at him, and it was a mob, and he was the, he was the victim, that even the Romans, they wanted to tear, tear him away from the Romans, that they even had to lift him up because of the people were grabbing at him, and they lifted him up so that they could protect him and so that he wouldn't be killed. And then as soon as they started going up the stairs, because there was a stairway from the, the temple court, courtyard that led into the castle where there was a Roman garrison, 
as they began to go up the stairs, instead of Paul going into the castle, Paul requested from the Roman soldier, may I speak to them? You don't see him in a state of confusion. You don't see the Apostle Paul, even in the midst of that adversity, even, even, even in that midst of, of trouble, you don't see him in a state of panic, but you see him all, all with his composure, real cool with his composure, and he says, may I speak to the crowd. He says, I want to speak to them. I want to address that crowd, that crowd that wants to kill me. I have something to say to them, and I want to, I want to bring my defense before them. Naturally, the Roman soldier, he didn't know what was going on. He didn't even know the, the why they wanted to kill him. So he figured this is an opportunity to possibly even find out what's going on. Maybe if he speaks to them, and I could find out what this is all about. So he gave them permission to actually speak. Now, think about it for a moment. Why is it that the apostle wasn't panicked? He wasn't in a state of panic. And he wasn't even afraid, in a sense. He wasn't, you know, when you look at this man, he had his composure. He's ready to speak to them. He's ready to preach to this crowd and address this crowd, the same crowd that wants to murder and wants to kill him. The reason why is because I believe the Apostle Paul expected everything that happened. You see, God had been preparing him from the very beginning. When we read in, in chapter uh, 20 and, and also chapter 21, we find the Spirit of God is constantly telling the Apostle Paul that this is what's awaiting him in Jerusalem. The Spirit of God is preparing him for what's up ahead. And I want you to know this, this morning, that God will always prepare you. There isn't any trial that will come against you that God has not prepared you for that trial. You see, greater is he that is within us. There isn't any trial, there isn't anything that could come against you that you are not able to handle because if, the, if you're facing those circumstances and facing those trials, then it is because God has given you the courage and God has given you the power to be able to overcome it. So the, with Paul, he was ready to face that crowd. And now what we're going to look at, we're going to look at his witness and how he witnessed to these people. Now this is the very first, in chapter 22, of six witnesses that he gives. He actually gives uh, his defense. He gives six defenses, and he gives it from this point on. There are six defenses that he actually gives. And this is the very first of the six defenses that he gives. And you have your outline there. And I want you to notice what it says in chapter 22, verse 1. The first point that we're going to take, and we've broken it up. When, you, when, you, when we deal with a, a section like this, a whole chapter, to make it easy so that you could understand it better, what we have actually done, we've broken it up into different segments. And we have actually six segments that we've broken it up into so that you could get the full meaning of it and get the full understanding of this chapter. And we have six of them. We have, first of all, the childhood, the commitment, the conversion, the chosen, the condemnation, and also the citizen. And hopefully, I say hopefully, we'll be able to finish these six. If you listen very closely, we may be able to do that. Okay? First of all, let, let's take a look at the, at the childhood. And again, the theme that we're dealing with is a positive witness in the midst of adversity. Because this is what you see Paul doing. That in the very midst of adversity, Paul is ready to give a positive witness. And he's giving a verbal, he's verbalizing a positive witness. But not only is he verbalizing it, but he's also, ver he's also giving a positive witness through his life. And sometimes God may not call us to give a positive witness in a, in a verbal way, but he will call us to give a positive witness when you're going through that period of trial within your life. Right in the midst of adversity... He will call us many times to give a positive witness by the exampleship of our lives. And this is what we see the Apostle Paul doing. 
and he begins with his childhood. But before we even get into his childhood, I wonder how many of you have, have found yourself in a situation like the Apostle Paul. You know, in a situation where you, you want to witness, and all of a sudden chaos breaks out. If you've been at, at, at any length of, of time uh, working for God, or if you are involved in evangelism, then the time will come, if it hasn't come, that you're going to have to give a witness and you're going to have to give a testimony in the midst of a very difficult situation. Or in the very midst of adversity, adversity surrounding you, an uncomfortable situation, and God is going to give you that opportunity to be a witness in the midst of that situation. Now, if you haven't had that experience, well, if you are, uh, uh, if you are an evangelist and if you're doing the work of God, believe it, the time will come when God is going to expect from you to be faithful even in the midst of a very difficult situation. We find the Apostle Paul doing. Now, I, I, those of you that have read The Cross and the Switchback, I want to just give you a few examples of people that have gone through that. Those of you that have read The Cross and the Switchblade, and I think most of you have read it, and if you haven't read The Cross and the Switchblade, you've read Run, Baby, Run, Nikki's book. And if you haven't read Run, Baby, Run, then you've heard his testimony. He's been to our church a number of times. He's traveled all over the world giving his testimony. And in his testimony, you find that Nikki, he refers to David Wilkerson, that David Wilkerson was the instrument that God used. And then he mentions how David Wilkinson was preaching in a rally in the St. Nicholas Arena in New York. Nicky came in with his gang. And all of a sudden, as Dave was preaching, then they made an altar call. He made an altar call. Nicky went up with his gang. And Nicky tells us in his testimony, and it also, he also tells us in his book, that he went ahead and he actually slapped David Wilkinson. Slapped him, he spit on him, and he told him to go to hell. Now, what would you do in a situation like that? That's a, what you would call a positive witness in a negative situation. Real negative situation. Here David is, is preaching, makes the altar call, and he's saying, Jesus loves you, and wham, a slap. He's sped on, and he's told to go to hell. Instead of responding in a very negative way, I think in, in David's mind, he must, have, he must have had the understanding, God must have prepared him, that it wasn't going to be easy to go to New York City, and it wasn't going to be an easy task to reach those gang members in the street of New York. That he needed to expect the unexpected. And whatever it took, he needed to be willing to pay that price. To pay that price and be a witness in the midst of adversity. You know what his response was? His response was, Nikki, even though you cut me in a thousand pieces, and even if you cut me in those thousand people, those thousand pieces are going to still tell you, Jesus loves you. Now, that was a heavy witness. I think that's what actually, when Nikki walked away from that, from that experience, uh, that made an impact, a lasting impact within his life. A lasting impact within his life because of the witness that he had received. Now, there are some times when things don't turn out the way you think they should turn out. There's sometimes it turns out good. I was in a situation, and I thank God that it turned out good. I was in Holland, and when I saw a brother, a pastor from Holland, it triggered that experience. And uh, I was in Holland, and I was preaching over there, and I was having some crusades in different cities in Holland. That's before we even had a Victory Outreach in Amsterdam, and I was in this place called Arnhem in, Harl in, in Holland, and I, was in, and, and I was preaching there, open-air services. I wasn't really preaching in, uh, in the churches, but I was in open-air meetings. It was outreach, and I was in the square, right in the middle, middle of the square in, 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 in Holland, in, in Arnhem, Holland, and I'm preaching, and while I'm preaching, I get these people that are drunk. I got a lot of young people there. They don't have no respect whatsoever for the gospel, no respect for the minister and the reverend. 
a very, very unruly crowd, and they get up and they start heckling. And I had a group of hecklers that, they weren't heckling from the back, but they came up to the very front and they started heckling. And I was trying to preach and I had an interpreter. And the interpreter, that's the first time he ever had an open air meeting. That's the first time he ever interpreted. In fact, he was one of the officials of the Assemblies of God and most of his uh, ministry was behind the desk in an office. But he was the only one that was able to interpret for me, so he was there, and he was out there right in the midst, middle of the square, and there we were, and I'm, I'm preaching away, and he's, inter and he's perspiring. And these hecklers are heckling and heckling and coming against us. And I remember that. I, I had to concentrate because I, I felt like getting in the flesh, to tell you the truth. <laughs> but I needed to concentrate. I recognized, well, Sonny, what did you expect? If you're coming out here to the streets and you're going to come out here to witness to these people, these people are pagans, these people don't even believe in God. And what is happening, you should have expected it. So I started preaching even, even louder and I started, you know, while I was preaching, I was praying. And, and all of a sudden, the Spirit of God not only came upon me, but it also came upon the interpreter. And we felt such an anointing that came upon us that even, even the words were flowing out, words that I didn't even think I even had, even in, even in my vocabulary, but they were coming out. And all of a sudden, that whole crowd was captivated in the power of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And I tell you, that was one of the biggest altar calls that I have ever made in the history of of our ministry. We made an altar call. The very same hecklers began to weep and cry. There was a change that took place. Everybody else started looking at the hecklers crying and they said, man, something supernatural has taken place. And they came up also and gave their lives to Christ. And it was a tremendous altar call of people surrendering their lives to Jesus Christ. I mean, that was one time it turned out good. I could tell you other times it didn't turn out so good. That was a good positive testimony. But there are times when, even when you're witnessing for Jesus Christ, all you have to do is, the only thing you walk away from there, it seems like it was a disaster, it seems like it was a failure, but all you have to go back is with the assurance that I deposited the Word of God, and God's Word will not return void. God's Word will not return void. It will always produce fruit. So here is the situation, and I just painted the situation so you could see what, what Paul was against. And Paul is there by the steps. Now, I want you to picture, he's, the courtyard is all there. That whole mob that wants to kill him is there. And Paul is all full of blood, and it's all puffed up, and he's up there like that. And he says to the Roman soldier, he says, could I address these people? Let me address, let me talk to these people. I need to talk to them. So he said, okay. And I'm sure he had some other Roman guards just standing there to protect the Paul. And Paul got up, and he starts to address them. And notice what it says, what he says over here in chapter 20, 22, verse 1. He starts out with uh, men, brethren, and fathers. Hear ye my defense, which I make now unto you. Now, you notice how he starts? He wants to first identify with these people. He wants to win these people. You see, the, the heart of the Apostle Paul was that he wanted to reach the Jew. He wasn't anti-Jews. I mean, he was a Jew himself. And his desire was, able, was, he, his desire was that he wanted to reach the Jews. He wanted to reach them and win them to Christ. So he says to the men, he says, then he says, brethren, He's trying to identify, listen, you're a, you're a brother Jew like myself. I'm a Jew, you're a Jew. And also fathers, he's also giving respect to the elders and people, older people that are there. And he says, hear ye my defense, which I make now unto you. And when they heard that he spoke in Hebrew, notice what he did. He spoke in he, he didn't speak. You see, what's good about Paul was that he was very educated. And not only was he able to speak Hebrew, he was able to speak Greek, and then he was also able to speak Hebrew. And the Hebrew dialect at the time was Aramaic, so he spoke 
That was the language that they used. It was, it was Aramaic. So he began to speak to them in Aramaic, in the Hebrew tongue. To them, they kept the more silence, and he said, as soon as he spoke to them in Hebrew, it was something that they did not expect. And they got real silent. He got their attention. I think in public speaking, and whenever you're going to give a testimony, you better get the attention of the people first. Because if you don't get their attention, you're going to waste a whole lot of words. That's why I even gave that little illustration this morning. I said, I better get your attention first before I get into the passage. And that's what Paul was actually trying to do. He wanted to get their attention so they begin to listen to him. And somehow, he wanted to be able to identify with them. And as speaking in their language and speaking the speaking Aramaic, they listened, and there was a silence that came over them. And right away, he got into his testimony. Now, you will find that uh, Paul gives his testimony. Paul gives his testimony, actually about five times he gives his testimony in the New Testament. Five different times he gives his testimony. In Acts chapter 9, he gives his testimony. Acts chapter 22, he gives his testimony. Acts chapter 26, that we'll be covering later on, he gives his testimony. In Philippians chapter 3, he gives his testimony. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul again gives his testimony. And once again, in beginning his defense, he begins to refer to his own personal testimony. Do you know that uh, people who come against the Word of God but they can't come against your experience. I don't think there's You're any- listening to Living in Victory with Pastor Sonny Argonzoni, your weekly podcast. I know you're enjoying today's message. We would love to hear how these podcasts are blessing your life. Connect with us today at SonnyArgonzoni.org. I don't think there's anyone here this morning that could come against this couple that were here and say it didn't happen. Because they have their lives, they present their lives just before you, and they say, listen, whether you believe it or not, just like that man says, I don't know whether you believe in Jesus or not, but all I know is once I was blind, but now I see. And you can't refute that. So the apostle is saying, listen, he starts by giving his testimony, and he wants them to know that uh, what God has done within his life. And then he begins in, in verse in verse 3, if he begins to give his, uh, his background, And he says, I am verily a man which am a Jew born in Tarsus, a city of Cilicia, yet brought up in the city at the feet of Gamaliel, and taught according to the perfect manner of the law and the fathers, and was zealous towards God as ye all are this day. You know what Paul does? Paul begins to not only identify with them, But he also, in a sense, begins to justify their very act. He says, I understand why you act the way you do. He's saying, because the reason why I understand, if anybody understands why you're angry, if anybody understands why you want to kill me, he says, I understand, because I was right where you are right now. At one time, I was right where you are, so I understand what it's all about. And then he begins to give his uh, background and... Paul belonged, he says that he, he was from a Jewish family. And Paul was actually from an aristocratic Jewish family. His father was a Roman citizen, which actually makes Paul a freeborn Roman. And also Saul was a, a learned scholar and a theologian. He was sent to Jerusalem as a boy for training in the school of Gamaliel. And that's one of the most respected uh, uh, Pharisees. He was also part of the Sanhedrin. And Paul is saying, listen, I, I studied under him. He says, uh, I'm from the city of uh, uh, Tarsus, the city of Cilicia. And he says, and I sat at the feet, I was at the feet of Gamaliel, and was taught according to the perfect manner of the law and the fathers, and was very zealous towards God as ye all are this day. So what he's actually telling them, he's getting their attention And he's saying, I was a Pharisee. I understand everything about you. I I am also a Jew, and I was very zealous at one time that I was even more zealous than most of you. This is what he's actually, actually telling them. So he gets their attention. And then he goes on in verse 4, and he says, And I persecuted this way unto death, binding and delivering into prison both men and women. Now, 
I want you to take notice of the terminology that he uses. He doesn't say Christians, but the, this way was actually referred to Christians. Remember that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So Paul is actually saying, I persecuted the Christians, but he's not using the word Christian because it would actually turn them off. But he says, those that are in the way, I persecuted this way unto the death, binding and delivering into prison both men and women. And then he also says, as also the high priest does bear me witness and all the estate of elders from whom also I receive letters unto the brethren. You know what he does right here? He also mentions, he says, if you want a witness and a testimony of who I was, then why don't you ask the high priest? Because the high priest was there. And he says, the high priest could also verify my testimony. If you don't believe me that I was a Jew and I was a Pharisee and I sat under Gamaliel and I was very zealous. When you talk about zealous, he says, I was even more zealous than all of you. He says, and if you don't believe me, then ask the chief priest that is right here, right now, and he'll tell you. So I can imagine all these people listening to Paul and then looking at the chief priest, and the chief priest cannot deny that. I can imagine the chief priest either saying, yeah, that's true, or putting his head down and not making a comment, not responding. But he had a hold of their attention. He got a hold of their attention. And then he says that, uh, he says not only the chief priest, but also you could also ask the Sanhedrin because he was also a member of the Sanhedrin. So if you don't believe me, you could ask the chief priest, the high priest, he could bear me witness, or ask the Sanhedrin and the elders in the Sanhedrin, in whom I also received letters unto the brethren and went to Damascus to bring them that were bound unto Jerusalem for to be punished. Now, this is what you find the story of, of Paul, you find it in, in, in uh, his testimony in chapter 9 of Acts that he was the persecutor of the church. It's amazing what God is able to do. That here is a persecutor of the church, the enemy of the Lord Jesus Christ, and God chooses him to be a testimony, to turn him around and be the testimony, the powerful testimony that was going to bring many Gentiles into the saving grace of Jesus Christ. So Paul is saying, I persecuted the Christians, and I also had the authority from the elders and also the, the high priests. And I had received letters from them. And I was on my way to Damascus to bring those Christians bound again into Jerusalem. I was on a mission hunting Christians and persecuting the Christians. And then he gets on and he moves on into his conversion. He moves into his conversion. And in verse 6, he says, And it came to pass that as I made my journey and was come near unto Damascus about noon, suddenly there shone from heaven a great light round about me. Now, you notice what it says over here. It says about noon. Now, I, you wonder why does it say noon? I think it's trying to make emphasis on that bright light that came because it was, it was like just about 12 o'clock. And you know that at 12 o'clock it's pretty bright. And here he's saying that even at 12 o'clock at noontime, there was a bright light that came around me, and it was a bright light that came from heaven and, and began to reflect all around me. And then he says, And I fell unto the ground and heard a voice saying unto me, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And then he says, And I answered, Who art thou, Lord? Now, notice the word that he uses, Lord. You think for a moment, you say, well, why does he use that word? I don't think he was so, he really knew who the person was that was speaking to him. I don't think at this particular moment, he didn't really associate that voice that spoke to him to Jesus of Nazareth. But all he knew was that he was having, it was a divine intervention that was taking place within his life. All he knew was that what was happening to him was something supernatural, and it was something that was not of this earth, but it was something that was from heaven. So he responded with respect. He said, Lord, out of respect, not knowing really it was Jesus Christ. So he says over here that the voice 
came and said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And I answered, who are thou? Because he didn't know who it was, but he knew that it was, it was something divine that was taking place, something supernatural. So he responded with respect, and he said, Lord, who are thou, Lord? And then he said unto me, I am, notice what he says, he's saying to them, he's making it very clear to all those that are listening. He's saying that the voice said, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom thou persecuted. Now at this particular moment, he's making a very powerful, powerful statement. You know what he's telling those people? He's telling all those Pharisees and all those people that are there, all those Jewish people that are there, they all had the mentality that Jesus died and that he was buried and that somebody, there was rumors going around that somebody stole the body of Jesus Christ. But not one of them believed in the resurrected Christ. And here, Paul is making a statement. He's saying, what happened to me is that I heard a voice come from heaven. Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And I said, who are thou, Lord? And he says, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom thou persecutest. So Paul is saying, he's giving a, a powerful statement, and he's saying, the Jesus that was crucified, that we crucified upon the cross of Calvary, the Jesus that was buried in that borrowed tomb is the same Jesus that resurrected from the dead and the Jesus that appeared unto me. And then he says that he said, and this resurrected Jesus told me, I am Jesus, and he even mentions it because he, does, he wants to make sure that they understand who he is. Jesus of Nazareth, whom thou persecuted. And they that were with me, he goes on in verse 9, saw indeed the light, because he had other people that were with him, and they were afraid. Notice what he says, everybody was afraid, because especially Paul was knocked down to the ground. They were afraid, but they heard not the voice of him that spoke unto me. You notice that when God deals with us, I want you to look at me for a moment. You notice what God is doing over here? Jesus appears unto Paul, and he has all these other people around him, but when he starts speaking to him, and he starts addressing him, it's something that is very personal. It's just like Jesus. He always deals with us in a very personal way. When he spoke to them, they've they seen everything. They saw the light. They, they also felt the effect of uh, something supernatural that was actually taking place. But as soon as Jesus began to speak, he was addressing himself to the Apostle Paul. And as he was addressing himself to him, it was a personal message that he had for Paul. And these other people could not hear it. You see, Jesus is a very personal God. That's why this morning, as I minister this morning, I said, and as I minister the Word of God this morning, God applies it in different ways. God knows your need. And as we minister the Word of God, He takes that Word of God, and then He brings it, and He speaks to you in a very personal way. It's not something general. As I give the Word of God, God takes it, the Holy Spirit takes it, and applies it in a very specific area within your life, because God is always a personal God. And He deals with us in a very personal way. And that's what He did with Paul. Jesus of Nazareth, whom thou persecutest, and they didn't hear the voice, but he, he was speaking to him, he says. And then he says, and I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said unto me, arise and go into Damascus, and there it shall be told thee of all things which are appointed for thee to do. You know what I like about Paul? I like about Paul, you know what I like about him? That he, as soon as that happened, he had the understanding to know that if God got a hold of him right there and God intervened in his life, then God had a purpose for him. You know that? He understood that his experience was not just going to be a one-time experience of being knocked down. You know what I'm talking about? It wasn't going to be a, a one-time experience of, uh, of just experiencing a, a heavenly visitation or a supernatural experience or a supernatural vision, but that all this happened because God had a purpose for his life. And you notice what he says over here. It says in uh, 
And I said, what shall I do, Lord? What do you want me to do? And then the Lord said unto me, Arise, and go into Damascus, and there shall be told thee of all things which are appointed for thee to do. I like that. You know, God always has a plan for our lives. And some of you, I don't know what you're waiting for. You know, you get saved and you're saying, well, now I'm going to go to heaven and I'm going to wait to go to heaven. And I'm escaping the fires of hell. You know, is that all it is? God has something for you. Paul understood that. What do you want me to do? You've got a hold of me. You knock me to the ground. I'm here embarrassed with all these people. They see what happened. This big light all around me. You're speaking to me. What do you want me to do? Did God tell him right away? No. God told him, you just go over and uh, just go to Damascus, and there'll be someone there. We'll let you know in due time. We'll let you know. I'll let you know exactly what I want you to do, but just be patient, and in due time, I'm going to let you know. And I'll let you know what is appointed for thee to do. And then it says, and when I could not see... He says, I could not see, in verse 11, for the glory of the light being led by the hand. Notice this, being led by the hand of them that were with me, I came into Damascus. Now here is a man that was all his life self-sufficient. Here is a man that trusted in his intellectuality. Here is a man that trusted in his education. Here is a man that was very, very self-sufficient. But all of a sudden, when he came and had an encounter with Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ broke in such a way that he wasn't self-sufficient anymore, but even people had to lead him by the hand, you see. You see, before God uses us, God was preparing him. And God was preparing him because God wanted to do something great within his life, and God wanted him to have a real dynamic, personal, supernatural experience in his life if he was going to be used of God. God needed to break him. And so many times we, our conversion is, is a shallow conversion, and shallow conversions do not make good Christians. We need a dynamic conversion. We need to be broken. We need to come to that place of recognition. That's why I love to see when people get saved, I like to see them broken before the presence of God. I like to see them losing their composure. When I see somebody losing their composure and they come up and they're all broken up and they've lost all their composure and they're not ashamed anymore and they don't care who's looking at them, who's watching them. And they're shaking and, and they're travailing before God. And seemingly it looks like they're making a fool out of themselves. Then I say this person is having a genuine Holy Ghost conversion that's going to make a tremendous impact within their lives. You see, God is prepared. God prepares us. And my conversion, I could identify with Paul. My conversion was, was dynamic, man. I mean, I lost all my... I needed that. I needed that. I needed to be broken. I needed to be broken. I was self-sufficient all the time. But all of a sudden, God got a hold of me and broke me and, and took me in such a way that I, I lost all my composure and all of a sudden I lost control of myself, control of my emotions. And that's when I was able to recognize whoever's working in my life is more powerful than I am and he's greater and more powerful. And, and I knew that it was, a, it was a powerful God that was at work within my life. That's what we need. That's what we need. That's, that's what we need in the church today. We'll have less backsliders... I'll say it again. We'll have less backsliders in the church if they have those Holy Ghost genuine conversions taking place within their lives. And this is what Paul, a dynamic conversion. He always refers to it. I mean, it had a, a, such an effect upon his life that he always he can't forget about it. And this is even, uh, even 20 years, 20-something years later, and Paul still remembers very clear what happened in his life. And he's recounting his experience. And he says, I could not see for the glory of the light being led by the hand of them that were with me. I came unto Damascus, and one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good report of all the Jews which dwell there, came unto me and stood and said unto me, Brother Saul, receive thy sight. And the same hour I looked up 
upon him. In other words, the same hour he received the sight. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn, and let's take a look at this Ananias. And I want you to turn to Acts chapter 9. Turn to Acts chapter 9, and this is really, it gives us more of an insight of what actually happened with Ananias. Here in Acts chapter 9, I want you to look at, at Acts chapter 9, verse 10. Do you have it? It gives you more detail over here of Ananias and the experience and encounter he had with Ananias. Acts chapter 9, verse 10. And it says, and there was a certain disciple. Do you have it? There was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him, the Lord, the set the Lord in a vision. Now, you notice what, now look at me. Paul is giving the account first in chapter 22. Paul is giving the account of what happened. And he's giving his version. But now over here, we find, we find even more. We, we even get more insight of what God was doing in preparing Ananias to go to Saul. And it says in verse 10, And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him the Lord uh, set the Lord in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street, which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth, and has seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hands on him, that he might receive his sight. Now, you notice what God does? God prepares Paul, right? He prepares him and tells him, I want you to go to this place. It's going to be this man's going to come, and he's going to lay hands upon you. And then at the same time, God is also preparing Ananias. So God is working both ways. And then it says in verse 13, it says, Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he has done to thy saints at Jerusalem. Notice why Ananias responded. Ananias responded just like you and I would respond. I mean, you know, you know what Ananias is telling the Lord? Lord, do you know what you're doing? Lord, you want me to go pray for Saul of Tarsus? Why, that's our enemy. He is our persecutor. He is the one that's killing all of the Christians. He responded, Ananias answered, and, and just like anyone else would answer, Lord, do you know what you're doing? And so many times we question God. And that's exactly what he did. He began to question God. Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man. I mean, this man that you're talking about. I want you to know, Lord, just in case you don't know who he is. It just may be, Lord, that you don't know who you're dealing with over there. You're saving the wrong guy. I mean, you're, not, you're, 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 saving the, you're dealing with the bad guy. I mean, he's the guy that's against us. He's the one that's persecuting the church. He is the most fierce enemy that we have. Lord, do you know what you're doing? And you want me to go over there and talk to him about you? Lord, I, I, if I do that, and it, what if he's not really saved? Then I'm in trouble. See? That's the way he responded, just like many of us would respond. And Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he's done uh, to the saints at Jerusalem, Lord. I, do you, you know, and, and, uh, and here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all that. Call on thy name. He even has authority from the chief priest, and he's taking people and putting them in prison, and, he, and he's getting people, and he has them bound. And do you, want, you still want me to go? And then in verse 15, but the Lord said unto him, Go thy way. For he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Notice the purpose of, 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 of Paul. Why, why do you think he was suffering? It was all according. What do you think he got beat up? Why do you think the mob wants to kill him? Why do you think he's in prison now? And from this point on, in chapter 22, his whole ministry is in chains. He's a prisoner, he says. But he says, I'm not a prisoner of Caesar. I'm a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the will of God for my life. For the very beginning, the Lord was saying, I will show him how much great things he must suffer for my name's sake. 
and he's going to bear my name before the Gentiles. He's going to go before the kings. He's going to go before the governors. And I have chosen him to be my witness of the saving power of Jesus Christ. So you could see how faithful Paul was. You see, Paul understood that. When he got beat up and the, the mob wants to kill him, he says, well, that's part of the territory. That's part of the ministry. He says, so let me give my witness to them. Because that's what God has called me to do. They may not be a, a pleasing crowd. They may not be a friendly crowd. But I am going to be faithful in the witness that God has called me to be. And I'm going to testify of the saving power of Jesus Christ. You see, what he did, I want you to know that he did not let any opportunity pass by. And sometimes... Because we come into an unfavorable, unfavorable situation. Listen, whenever you're in an unfavorable situation, whenever you're in a, in a situation that is not comfortable situation, uh, sometimes, even though it may be uncomfortable, God wants you to, to take control. And God wants you to do the very best that you can and, 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 and change things around in even in an unfavorable situation. Not to stand by passively and say, well, well, I just, I just have to accept this, and that's all that's to it. Paul could have said that. He could, well, I might as well go to just get in prison now, and i got to go there and, and have a pity party. And, well, I'll just, God, you're going to have to do it. That's all that's to it. You know? No, no, no. Paul says, Look, let me at these people. It was, a, it was an unpleasant situation, but I'm going to make something pleasant out of something that's unpleasant. I want to turn this thing around, praise God. If the door is not open, I'm going to kick it open in the name of Jesus. Paul says, I want, I want to speak to these people, and I'm going to speak to them, even though it's, a, it's an unpleasant situation. God is going to turn this around, and I'm going to take this opportunity and be a witness of Jesus Christ. I got me a crowd here, and I'm going to witness to them, even though they're very unfriendly crowd, see? Because he knew all along what God had called him to do. Now, I want you to notice this Ananias in verse 17. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house and putting... His hands on him. I, I like that. That's, that's humorous. Could you picture him? Ananias coming in. I mean, he's scared to death. He's going in a house. His heart is probably beating, you know. Man, what's going to happen? Lord, you, I hope you know what you're doing, God. I hope you know what you're doing. That's all I got to say. And he's going in the house. And he said, oh, my. It's going like, like going into the lion's den, you know. And then he goes over. And, 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 and goes over to Paul, and Paul is still like blind, you know, he's blind. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house, and then he put his hands on him. And you notice what he said? Brother Saul? <laughs> brother Saul? In other words, uh, remember now, you're a brother now. If you don't know it yet, I want you to remember that you're a brother, you're one of us now. Brother Saul, are you, are you a brother? You sure you're a brother Saul? And he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou came, has sent me that thou might receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And it says, and immediately there fell from his eyes that was scales, and he received sight forthwith, and he arose and was baptized. But you notice Ananias? Ananias had to take that step of faith and also trust God because it wasn't something that was rational. And God many times doesn't do things that are rational because God is a supernatural God and he works in supernatural ways. And we must trust him. Put our confidence and trust in him. So let's go back to chapter 22. It says over here in thir verse 13, and he came unto me and stood and said unto me, Brother Saul, receive thy sight. In the same hour I looked up upon him. He got healed. And he said, the God of our fathers has chosen thee. Now you notice what, what he's saying over here? He's not mentioning Jesus right now, but he's saying the God of our fathers. And then he also tells them a little bit about uh, Ananias. He says in verse 12, And Ananias, a devout man, according to the Lord, having a good report of all the Jews which dwell there. In other words, he wants to identify with that crowd. And he says, Ananias was a good Jew. 
I am not anti-Jew, he's telling the crowd. Even Ananias, the guy that came to pray for me, a disciple of, of, of Jesus, he was a devout Jew, he's telling him. And then he says in verse 14, and he said, The God of our fathers has chosen thee that thou should know his will and see that the just one and should hear the voice of his mouth. For thou shalt be witness unto all men what thou hast seen and heard. And then he says in verse 16, And now why tarryst thou? Arise and be baptized. Wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Now I want you to notice this. You notice what he told him? You, know, you see, Paul, just like many of us, Paul had a choice to make. And many times, you know, God works in our lives, but God is not a, a dictator. What God does, you have a free choice. You have a free will. And just like Paul, Paul, Ananias told him, you need to be baptized now, Paul. Now you need to be baptized. You need to repent of your sins, and you need to follow water baptism, which is a symbol of uh, an inward, it's an outward expression of an inward experience. In other words, what Ananias was telling Paul was, Paul, now you need to really follow through. And you need to make this experience a complete experience. You need to be able to repent of your sins. Now, Paul had a chance. He could have said yes, or he could have said no, and he could have walked away. But you notice what he did. He went ahead, and he was actually baptized. And I, for the life of me, I don't understand. You know, if you have a conversion, if you got saved, I wonder how many of you, since you accepted Jesus Christ, have been baptized. Sometimes people get saved and they wait years to be baptized. I can't understand that. I think once you get saved, you're anxious to get baptized. You say, man, I want to go all the way. I want to be a member of the church. I don't understand, I don't understand those conversions. Those conversions of getting saved, not being a member of the church, continuing to be a spectator, just having one foot in and one foot out. I don't understand those conversions. Those are not what you would call genuine, holy ghost. Something is wrong with that type of conversion. The conversions I see in the Word of God are conversions where a person is going one way and all of a sudden they have an experience with Christ and there's a turnaround that takes place and they start living and walking a different way and they're going all the way for Jesus. That's what you call a biblical conversion. I don't understand those conversions, that nowadays conversion of people getting saved. They come to the altar, then they come to church, and they don't get involved, and they don't get baptized. They don't join a small group. They don't identify themselves as Christians. They don't witness to anybody. They're secret agent Christians. I do not understand that kind of conversion. The kind of conversion I see in the Word of God Paul got saved as soon as he got saved. Ananias told him, Paul, you need to be baptized now. You need to declare yourself before everybody that you're a Christian and that you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And he did just that. Man, I remember I was so excited about getting baptized. I couldn't wait to get baptized. I think we should be, some of you newcomers should be bugging Pastor Charlie. You should be bugging him about, when is baptism, Pastor? When is baptism? I want to get baptized. I want to get baptized. I got to get baptized. I want to get baptized. Because it has a meaningful experience. Man, when I got saved and they told me about baptism, I wanted to get baptized. I want to, go to, I want to be baptized. And I remember when I went to baptize, be baptized, man, I was so broken. I was over there and said, oh, man. And to me, I took it literally, you know. I said, I got so much sin, man, they better give me a double, you know, just make sure that they give me a double dip. When I get up from here, I want to be Mr. Clean. And, it had, and we know that it's, it's symbolic because the Lord has done a work in your life, but it's a testimony to the world. It's a commitment that you have made. It's a declaration of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, of a commitment that you've made to Jesus Christ, and you're following the Lord in baptism. Also being a member of a church, you say, now I was a member of nothing before. I was a member of that devil's crowd, but now I'm going to be a member of the church, and I'm gonna, I want to be a member of Victory Outreach over here. I want to join that small group. I'm going to go to the foundation of faith class. I want to learn more about the Word of God. I don't want to be standing on the sidelines. I don't want to be a spectator. I want to get involved all the way. That's what Christianity is all about. I don't know any other Christianity. 
The Christianity that's in the Word of God are Christians that when they get saved, sinners get saved, there's a turnaround and a bow phase that takes place in their lives. We pray that this message has encouraged you to grow in your walk with God. To hear more messages, visit www.visionintlstore.com. Thank you for listening. God bless you.